and welcome to a new episode of PR360. And I'm your host, Brett Dyster. And if you could please subscribe to PR360 on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and Amazon Music, that will greatly appreciate it. Leave a review, let us know how we're doing. But this week, we're talking with Eric Cole. He also goes by Dr. Cole, but he wants to keep it less formal. So we're going to go with Eric Cole. And he is a very interesting guy. He's done cybersecurity for the Gates Foundation. He has done businesses. He's done technology. He knows technology probably better than I actually do. He also has just done a whole range of things. That's why he's the doctor and I'm not. So welcome to the show, Eric. Pleasure to be here, Brett. Thanks for having me. And the first question is, all my guests is, are you a coffee or a tea drinker? I am door number three. I am an energy drink junkie, so I, I don't like hot beverages, but, uh, but I love all the various energy drinks and crazy flavors out there. My, my personal favorite right now is unicorn blood. I don't know what that is, but it sounds cool. <laughs> all right. I think they're taking like the note from Starbucks when they have the unicorn for Frappuccino. <laughs> Anyways, can you give uh, our audience just a, like a quick brief about who you are? Because it's always you that says it better than me, but can you give a brief description of yourself? So the politically correct answer is I'm a cybersecurity professional. So I, I've worked in cybersecurity for 30 years, but, but really when I look at what I do in all areas of my life, I'm really a professional hacker. I'm always trying to find optimize. To me, I know hacking can sometimes get a bad term out there, but to me, a hacker in the computer sense is somebody that tries to understand how systems work, identify flaws and vulnerabilities with the goal of improving the overall security of those systems. But, but I, I look at it in every area of my life, I'm always about whether it's health, exercise, profession, finding flaws and vulnerabilities, finding ex exposures that bad people could take advantage of and figuring out how to optimize, fix them, or overall secure them or make them safer. Ah, so have you done one of those like bug bounties through all the big companies that say, hey, try to find bugs and you actually get money for it? Because a lot of people actually try to do that it's pretty lucrative to find actual vulnerabilities in software. I used to do that in the early days, but what I do now is I'm really more focused on the offensive side. So I spent eight years at the CIA as a professional hacker. And I'll be honest with you, I got bored because you can always get in. You can always find vulnerabilities. So I sort of switched to the offensive side. And what I've learned, like if a company wants to do bug bounties, that's fine. But what I would rather do is let's assume the reality, which is that software has bugs in it. Re regardless of how many bug bounties you do, there's going to be vulnerabilities because software is created by humans. Humans are not perfect. So anything a human creates is going to have flaws. And if we look at any operating system, whether it's Windows, Linux, Mac, that has proven time and time again that there's no such thing as a secure piece of software except one that's useless. So what I would rather do is say, okay, let's assume the reality that the software is vulnerable, which it will be, and let's create an environment where we can control the risk, prevent what we can, but really my specialty is all on timely detection, is how do we catch the adversary in a timely manner? And this is where I get frustrated when you see these big companies or these large breaches where they've been compromised for two or three years and nobody knew about it. It's sort of like, come on, we, we got to do a better job of getting visibility into what's happening in our systems. I mean, yeah, that kind of goes with what I was about to say, but hacking is becoming a bigger, bigger problem, or at least being in the news more often than before. So how can actually businesses adapt to working online? Because we're all going to be working online, basically, and that threat's going to be bigger. So how can businesses keep their data safe while doing almost everything online? 
to me, what it really comes down to is understanding the big exposure points, understanding how a lot of these attacks work. So if we look at a lot of the large data breaches, almost all of them have a similar pattern. You have a server that's accessible from the internet that's missing patches that contains critical data that's not properly encrypted. That's the pattern. If you go back, and once again, I know the solar winds that just came out, they're, they're talking advanced threats and everything else. I, I'm not a betting man, but I'd almost guarantee that it's going to come down to something along those lines where there were servers that they didn't know about. So the way I break this down with organizations is first and foremost, any systems that are accessible from the internet are higher risk. So we need to go in and identify and find them. We, we need to do asset inventory on it. We then need to make sure they're fully patched and make sure that any internet-facing systems never contain critical data. Now, that's great for me to say, but I started digging into this a little deeper, saying, wait a second, are you telling me that a Fortune 50 company that's had breaches over the years, they're not doing any asset inventory? They're not doing any patching? That, that would be absurd. I mean, they're spending a lot of money and have a lot of staff. So what I realized over the last several months is what I coined the rule of 90%. And the rule of 90% is this. If you go into any medium, large organization, they know about 90% of their servers. 90% of their servers are patched, and 90% of their data is properly encrypted. Now, if you're taking an advanced class like physics, and you're getting a 90, I'm happy with that. Right? That's, that's a solid A. We're good. But in cybersecurity, it's not good enough, because if you have 1,000 servers and you know about 90%, that's 100 servers that are unprotected. Even if we want to say it's 95 or 97, there's nothing magical about the 90, that's still a large number of servers. So what I would advise organizations on the server side is get 100% on three things. Asset inventory, configuration management, i.e. patching, and control of your data. If you can get 100% for internet-facing systems, at least the current threat that we're seeing today is going to be minimized, reduced, or stopped. Now, that doesn't mean the adversary is not going to be changed or altered, but that's going to be the first line of defense that I'm going to recommend to organizations. The second piece, which really comes into play with the solar winds, is all outbound traffic out of your organization needs to be proxied, monitored with anomaly and behavior detection. And once again, the limited information we do have from solar winds says that the way it was detected was there was large amounts of data going to IP addresses in which the organization did not do business. So if these organizations had outbound proxies where they were just doing standard off-the-shelf behavioral detection anomaly, they would have said, wait a second, all of a sudden our connections increased by 60% and they're now going to new IP addresses in countries we don't do business with. Hmm. Maybe we should take a look at that. So it, it's one of those where, but my approach to security some folks get upset because it's not anything new or revolutionary. It's just let's do the foundational items better because everybody wants the latest AI specialized application software. That's all these crazy things. But to me, it comes down to the basics. You got to know your assets. You got to patch your systems. You got to control your data and you got to monitor outbound activity. And so far, every single attack I've seen would have been mitigated, reduced, or stopped with those core foundational areas. All right. So you people out there, just do your update. Anyways, for 
PR pros, since this is about public relations, how or what is their role when it comes to cybersecurity? How are they going to message this stuff? Because usually they're the front lines that get the flack when something goes wrong like this. So how can PR pros at least understand cybersecurity, talk about it as well, and informed their invested customers about what they're doing and how they're going to try to prevent from data breaches and all that fun stuff? First and foremost, they need to work with the executives to change corporate culture that a breach isn't a bad thing. What happens in most organizations is it's like when you get a bad grade in school. Nobody wants to tell mommy or daddy, right? So the PR firms are in an unfortunate position where a lot of the technical security folks, when they find out problems or issues, they want to fix it. They want to hide it and they want it to go away. And they don't always tell the PR folks what they need to know. So that, that's sort of the first thing where you need to get with the executive and saying, listen, if we have a breach or a problem, it's going to come out. We can either do it correctly and manage it, or we can do it incorrectly and it can get ugly. And most of the breaches we've seen, it's really done incorrectly. So that, that's first piece. Second is it's not anyone lying or being malicious, but normally when you do initial discovery, and you find out what happened. So what the technical folks are going to tell you is not going to be the complete truth and it's not going to be the actual damage. The damage is always going to be worse. So be careful if your IT technical team says, hey, it's been 5 million records. I would recommend saying currently we have found that 5 million records have been compromised, but we are still investigating and additional data might come out. That's a lot better and different than what we often hear, which is, oh, it's only 5 million records. It's not, a, and they try to downplay it. And then when the truth comes out, it's always a lot worse. And I know this is against general PR, but what I can tell you with all the breaches we've seen is you don't know what you don't know initially. It's usually worse and there's usually more impact. So if anything, take the neutral, or I would even recommend maybe overplaying it a little saying, Hey, it's probably going to be a little worse, but right now we know 5 million because then at least you keep the respect of the marketplace, but make sure you recognize whatever the initial data is, it's always going to be a lot worse. And then finally, and this sounds humorous, but I'm really, really serious. Make sure that when you do the initial release, and then a month or two passes and you find out it's a lot worse than it was, make sure your executives don't sell their stock in between then. I mean, that seems to be the go-to. Like if you look at most breaches, it's the initial report is a lot less than it was. They hide the facts for a couple of months, executives sell all the stock, and then they come out and say it was 10 times worse than it was in the beginning. And then you lose all credibility and faith out there. So it's really managing the expectation and making sure that the executives recognize that what they do for their own personal financial gain could hurt and negatively impact the company. Yeah. That just reminds me of uh, Yahoo <laughs> when that actually happened. Cause it was actually pretty bad. And Yahoo is one of many. I mean, just, just pick any company that's been breached and they've done the same exact thing. Sony. Yeah. Sony did a pretty bad job. I think Experian was probably one of the worst ones. Yeah. What I tell PR folks is if you don't know what to do during a breach, study Experian and do the opposite of everything they did. Cause, cause I mean, that's, if I had to design 
sort of the worst possible way to handle a breach. And I was purposely trying to do it. I don't think I could have done any better or any worse, depending on which way you're looking at it. Yeah, it was pretty bad considering they're about credit scoring and actually having your very important data. But what do actually some businesses and PR pros miss or do not understand about cybersecurity? Because you talked about it a little bit, but it seems like, I guess from my end, when I talk to a lot of people about tech, people are just like, even my little knowledge are like, what is going on? What are you talking about type of a thing? So is it just a lack of understanding cybersecurity for a lot of PR pros that are missing the point about how to actually talk about it if something happens, or maybe they're just really just in the dark and their IDs people aren't actually telling them anything? I think it's a couple of factors. I think one is with normal, traditional PR, your whole goal is to manage information, manage what you tell the public, control the damage. And I would say if you go back 20, 30 years and you look at some of the issues that are non-cyber related, like brake issues with cars or medicine that's gone bad or things like that, that that's probably pretty good advice. However, to me, when it comes to cybersecurity and cyberspace, you need to have a different playbook. You can't use that same playbook because the information is going to get out there. There's a lot of really smart people. There's a lot of attackers that often give out public information and other details. So you really need to go in and give out the information, explain the details, explain what happened, because they're going to be uncovered anyway. And the more you provide and the more upfront you are, the more legit and the more consumers and customers are going to believe with what you say. So I think that's the first thing. The second is ask more questions. Uh, I grew up technical. I now do a lot more on strategy, but technical people are really, really smart. They tend, not always, so don't get mad at me if you're a listener and you're different. They tend to be more on the introvert side. They tend to want to solve problems themselves and they tend to want to, to not only sh- not share details because they know what they're doing and they don't want to be questioned. So it's an interesting relationship, but you do want to ask some questions of the staff. I worked on a breach where the PR, they were going to go out and say that it was very minor, there was only 5,000 records, and this really wasn't a big deal. They fortunately brought me in, and I said, let's have a meeting with the technical and the PR, and I asked a couple questions. I asked the technical staff, how confident are you that it's only 5,000 records? Are you very confident? Oh, no, it's probably going to be a heck of a lot worse, but this is what we know right now. And the PR firm's like, why didn't you tell me that? And you ready for this? You didn't ask. The the technical person actually said, you didn't ask. What you asked me was, how many records do we know for a fact have been compromised? And the correct answer to that question is 5,000. If you would have asked me, do we have any confidence that it's more or less, they would have gave a different answer. But the problem is you have two different species that are communicating, right? You have the PR people that assume when I ask you a question, You're going to provide every possible detail angle for that question. When you have technical people, they're going to answer the question. And they're going to ask the exact question that you ask. So you got to be a little more general follow-up questions. Are you confident? How many more records could it be? What would be the worst case scenario? What if it was a lot worse than it could be? And then the other thing that this is hard for both companies, PR, and technical, if you haven't detected a compromise, in 18 months, the probability that you are compromised and don't realize it is in the 75 plus or higher. It's not 
100%, but it's not 20%. So I think companies need to realize that there's a lot of companies out there right now today that are compromised. They just haven't detected. They're just not aware of it. And this is becoming more of the norm. So instead of a PR firm trying to hide and act like a breach is bad, the best handling of breaches, where was they accept it? They own it, accept it, but say, listen, it's going to happen. Right? You don't blame others. You don't blame other entities. Like the thing going on now that I just crack up about is, oh, we are 100% sure that SolarWinds was a nation state advanced attack and there was no possible way we could have defended against it. Great. How did the attack work? We don't know. What are the details of the attack? We're not sure. How exactly did they get in? We don't know. Then how do you know it was a nation state? Right? You, you don't know how the attack worked. You don't have any details. But for some reason, you are 100% confident that it was nation state. Therefore, it's not our fault. To me, that's just really bad PR that's going to get you in trouble. Say we don't know. It could be, maybe, but it's these absolutes of we're 100% sure or we know for a fact it's only 5,000 records. That's where you get yourself in a lot of trouble. So state what you know, recognize it's an opinion, but be careful of those absolutes because that's where you're going to get yourself in a corner that's going to look real ugly when the truth comes out. So PR people, if you don't really know, just say, I don't have the information right now. I'll get back to you. That's actually the PR way of saying it. I don't have the information. I'll get back to you. <laughs> that's how we were trained in college to say. The, the only little twist I would put on that is if you could provide a little information, that would be good. So if you come out and say, right now, we know that it's 10,000 records, but it could be worse. We, we just don't have all, but I want to let you know what I know right now. And we believe that it came from a foreign entity, but we're still researching it. And we don't have specifics at this point, because what you've done is you've built confidence that you're not hiding. Because if you give the answer, we don't know anything, of course you do. So give a little bit, make sure you caveat it, and then be careful of avoiding the absolutes. All right. And moving on to actually basically crisis plans, because when hacking does happen, it usually becomes a more of a crisis than a issue because there's there are differences. How or what should the crisis plan have for PR or in hacking for PR pros? And what things should they actually be saying? And should it be the crisis plan should be more about fixing it and saying, look at, we messed up here is how we're going to fix it. Is that how they should write it? Or should they write it in a different way that I may not be aware of? So the old school way of doing the crisis planning was essentially isolate the problem and take the systems offline. So if you took any training 10, 15 years ago, it would be okay. Start disconnecting systems, pulling systems from the network, separating them so the problem doesn't get any worse and doesn't spread, and you can make sure the adversary is out of your network. Today, that doesn't work because if you're a large company and you do that, you go out of business. So you have to continue to maintain, which essentially means you are allowing the adversary to continue to cause damage while you're investigating because the impact of disconnecting systems is too high. From a business standpoint, that is spot on. Here's the problem. What if this is a bank or a hotel chain that has PII? And you're one of those people that when they knew about the attack, if they would have disconnected the system, your data wouldn't have been compromised. But because they left the systems online, 
for three months as they investigated, your data is now compromised and you now have financial impact to you. That is essentially in legal terms, the definition of a class action suit. Right? When that information comes out, you're in a lot of trouble. So what I recommend is you have two leads. When you recognize you have a breach or an attack, you have a technical lead, which is either the CIO or the CISO that's managing the strategy. Then you have a external campaign lead, which normally should be the attorney or the chief legal counsel. And then PR works for them to make sure you're careful with the information you give out. You want to be accurate and correct. Everything I said previously is spot on, but you want to make sure that you're not increasing liability or exposure. And the other very important thing for PR is not only check with legal, check with your cyber insurance. Because a lot of cyber insurance, you must notify them before you go public, and they're going to give you a PR representative. So if you go out to the public and talk about the breach before you notify the insurance company, you could nullify your insurance. And I've seen companies literally do $20 million mistakes on that because the insurance company said, read the policy. Policy says if you go public before you call us, policies null and void, you did. Have a nice day. So the PR person has a lot more responsibility with cyber than they did with the past. So make sure you're coordinating with legal, insurance, and the necessary pieces to make sure you're not hurting the company. Gotcha. Yeah, it seems quite important to actually notify your insurance now. Yes. And it's one of those when we're having a conversation and somebody's listening in, it's obvious. Of course you would. But you know when you're in the heat of the moment, things are going crazy, everyone's screaming at you, and you have to get a notice out. It's some of those obvious things that you miss. And just like we do in technical incident response, with PR and corporate response, you need to have that checklist. You need to be like that pilot where no matter how many times you've done it, pull out the checklist and make sure you cover every item that you don't inadvertently create problems. And speaking of SolarWinds as well, they hurt Microsoft pretty bad too with getting their source code apparently compromised or looked at. So in the PR sense, how should they handle the business to business side if a business hurts another business? How should they go around communicating to that other business that look at something happened, they may have gotten into your system through our system somehow? How can they handle that? So the best advice is what I call my time machine advice. And the time machine advice is you need to, before there's a breach, PR or somebody else needs to right now when the sun is out in the sky and everything is good, you need to go to your IT and say, okay, are all external connections properly isolated? If, if we had a SolarWinds-like attack, even though we weren't impacted by SolarWinds, if we did, would we have the same impact and put together a segmented network architecture. It boggles my mind. If you told me in 1990 when I was working at the agency and I was doing ethical hacking that in the year 2020, if you told me in 2020 that companies would still have fully open networks, no segmentation, that this was the whole target issue, right? If you remember the whole target breach was caused because they had a third party vendor that had total and complete access to all of their point of sale systems, yet we didn't learn the lesson because pretty close to what we see with SolarWinds. So go in and be as proactive as possible. Now, assuming you weren't proactive, in that case, once again, as a PR representative, you need to make sure you get the facts because in most cases where it was a third party or supply chain, yes, the supply chain didn't do what they were supposed to. 
but be careful of pointing the finger too quickly because in most of those situations, you also have liability. You haven't done things correctly on your end. So once again, you want to make sure you're really circling the wagons with legal to make sure you're crystal clear on what's your responsibility and what's their responsibility. Mm-hmm. And are we going to see even more compromised or bigger high profile hacking in the next five years? Are we going to see even worse hacking? Cause it seems to get worse and worse and worse each year. This happens. Or you think businesses are finally going to start to understand actual cybersecurity. So, so I'm going to answer this a little differently. I don't think that we're going to see a huge increase in the hacking because it's pretty bad. What we're going to see is much more of it discovered and reported in a timely manner. I, I've seen different reports from different reliable sources that go anywhere from 60 to 80% of all attacks are currently not detected. If you look at what's happening from nation state, organized crime, to traditional competitive analysis, it's really, really bad. The problem is most organizations are not detecting it. Most organizations are not catching it. Just, and I'll give generic data, so I honor all the NDAs I have with my clients, but we've gone in over the last two years and we've done assessments for 67 companies, 63 of them were compromised and the organization had no idea. They brought us in to do an assessment and these are companies that are smart enough to get assessments done. So I would say they're in the upper tier and whatever that number is, I think it's over 90% of them had compromises they weren't aware of. So if that's true with companies that are very conscious, you can almost guarantee that number to be pretty consistent. So I think what it is, is it's a lot worse then people realize they just don't have visibility. So I believe over the next five years, we're going to start getting a lot more visibility and realizing that's a lot worse than we realized. Hmm. And with that, what is the next frontier for cybersecurity? How can we help with combating all this compromised sites and all these, or at least trying to get the data hacked? How, how can cybersecurity or the next frontier of that help with, managing or mitigating that? To me, the next frontier with cybersecurity is really, we have to now clean up what happened over the last 12 to 15 months and gain control of the endpoint. So if, if we just do a quick timeline, 2017, 18, even 2019, organizations were starting to lock down their endpoints. They were starting to do application protection, controls and monitoring, and they were getting a real good handle on controlling and managing the endpoint. Then around March or April 2020, essentially organizations closed down their main office and opened up 20,000 remote offices. And let me explain, I go and ask people, so how many new offices did you open up last year? Oh, Eric, we didn't open up any new offices. We shut down a lot of our offices. I said, how many people are working from home now? 20,000. You opened up 20,000 remote offices. And, and like the eyes light up going, oh, I never thought about that. But so what we did last year in response to the epidemic is we closed down large offices that had really good controls and monitoring. And we opened up 20, 30, 40,000 remote offices that are vulnerable and not secure. So we lost total control of the endpoint. A lot of people are using personal systems. I'll tell you, 
the biggest threat to companies is not foreign adversaries. It's not organized crime. It's 16 year olds that do TikToks. If you allow your teenagers to use the same computer that you use to do work and financial transactions, you've lost the game. The probability of compromise there is so high. So to me, what we really need to do, and we've been pushing it with our clients, is thin clients at the endpoint. The remote workforce is going to be around for a while. Even if some offices open up, the new solution is location agnostic. You need to be able to have security anywhere, anyplace, anytime. And the solution is you got to get rid of those hard drives. You got to get rid of those two, three, four terabyte hard drives that are 95% full with all that critical data with no control or manageability. So thin clients solve that. Also, this idea of having unpatched out-of-date operating systems that are compromised for three years, thin clients solve that problem also because you're getting a new updated operating system every day whenever you reboot and there's no hard drive. So to me, the real focus, if I was in a business, running a business, CIO, or any of those executive titles, is I would really focus this year on getting control of the endpoint and thin clients is the current best solution that we have. Hmm. So just even small businesses, you probably opened probably 15 to 30 new offices just by yourself. I know it does. It sounds weird when you say that, but yeah, it makes more sense. So can PR pros help with getting their regular employees to understand where they go and what they do on their own personal computer can affect their business at the same time. Can they do best practices for them to understand how to not get malware and all that other stuff on their computers? Because the best defense for viruses and getting compromised on your own system is the person. Yes. And I know we talk about user awareness and best practices and all that. Here's the fundamental problem. If somebody is concerned and fearful about their family, they are always going to protect their family over security. I actually did this experiment where I took 40 people at a company and we did 45 minutes of user awareness. And in that user awareness, I talked specifically about phishing attacks, COVID specific phishing attacks. We did Q and A 45 minutes with these people. An hour after the session, we sent them a email that had a subject line that said, five people tested positive at your student's high school. And we knew that they had kids. And then the body said, your, your child might have been exposed to COVID. Click the link to see if you came in contact with these people. And I kid you not. 40% of the people that just went through the training where I told them about this actual phishing attack, they clicked on it within an hour of training. And if you do that, I'll tell you right now, you don't have any hope. But if you're doing generic training or anything else. So to me, what it comes down to is telling somebody not to click on an email, they're not going to do it. If their family's at risk, if they're at risk, they're going to do it. But here's what I found works very well. You got to have two devices. And I do this and I I have all my executives do this. I have one device that's a Windows device that I do all my work on. That's where I write my reports. I do my analysis, all of that. I do not check email and I do not surf the web on that device. I then, I like Apple, so I have an iPad and I surf the web and check email on the iPad. I only do that on a couple things. First, 
most of the malware out there is Windows-based, not because it's more vulnerable, but because it has a large install base. So if you're using a non-Windows platform, most of the malware doesn't work. Second, I only use that iPad for email and surfing the web. There's no data. So even if it did get compromised, first, there'd be no impact. And second, I just rebuild it. I just read. So to me, that's a better strategy. And most people, it could be a phone. It could be an Android. Most people have two devices. They just need to build the habit and discipline of work on the windows, email and web on a separate device. And if you can get them to do that, that's a much better way than user awareness saying, don't click, don't click, don't click. All right. Businesses, if you can't afford it, or at least encourage your employees to have a couple different devices, even though they already do probably anyways, Fun question for you. If you could create any perfect cybersecurity software, if there is such a thing, what features would it have? Oh, that's easy. If you want the perfect piece of software that's 100% secure and hack-proof, zero features. It doesn't, I'll give you a rock. I'll give you a rock, and that, that is 100% secure from cyber attacks. So the rule you have to remember is, if we add a visual here, imagine I have this sliding graph, and at the top, on the left-hand side, I have security. And on the right-hand side, I have functionality. 100% security means zero functionality. So if we want to get 100% security, just turn off all the functionality, remove all the functionality. Now, that's not practical, but here's the practical advice. What this means is the law of security, just like the law of gravity, it's always true, it's always present, it's always working. Every time you add functionality, you're reducing the security, always. So what you need to do, whether it's putting an Alexa in your home, whether it's putting a video camera in your infant's room so you can monitor them, or whether it's launching a server for your business, is you need to always ask two questions. The first question everyone asks, what is the value or benefit? The second question is, what is the risk or exposure? And then you need to decide for you or your business whether the benefit is worth the risk or exposure. I always get people going, oh, Eric, you're probably going to tell me not to do this. You're going to tell me this isn't good. Nope, I never do that. What I do is I tell you, okay, here's the value you're getting. Here's the risk and exposure. I personally would or would not do that, but it's really up to you. Life and business is about taking risks. The problem in cybersecurity is we do it blindly. We only look at the value and benefit, and we never ask the second question. So if you want to be a pro at cybersecurity, it comes down to asking a second question, understanding the risk and exposure, and then deciding whether that risk is worth the value or benefit you're rolling out. All right. Any final thoughts for our listeners? My final thoughts are it doesn't matter who you are, what you do, or what business you're in. It doesn't matter if your business is making the dollar or $2 billion. You need to remember two fundamental facts. You are a target. And cybersecurity is your responsibility. Wise words. All right, everybody. Now download a a password management system to get those (laughs) strong passwords. All right. Thank you, Eric, for joining PR360. Really appreciate sharing all your knowledge on cybersecurity. My pleasure. And thank you for having me. And thank you for listening to PR360. As always, please subscribe to PR360 on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and Amazon Music. And join us next week as we talk to another great thought leader in the PR industry. All right, guys. Stay safe. Do good cybersecurity and see you next week. Later.